You cannot find this carol in any hymn book. I've searched eight different hymn books. It's not there. I think in the Methodist Church, in the Anglican Church, the Episcopalian Church, you might well hear this in a service, but you'll never hear it in the Catholic Church. It's not liturgically right. What makes something liturgically right? Well, firstly, it's got to praise God or it's got to be something about our faith. This legend is nothing about faith. But, of course, if you decide, which I hope most churches do, to have a lessons and carols service, yes, bang it in there, sing it twice. <laughs> Good King Wenceslas, I did not know about growing up, and my only association with it is that I cannot say the name. <laughs> I didn't know it was like thousands of years after the first Christmas. Because Good King Wenceslas sounds like one of the kings in the Bible. In my household, we had a VHS tape of the Muppet Christmas Carol. In that version, there's a caroler who sings it, and there's also a, like a, a pretty orchestral arrangement. I think of the scene in Love Actually where Hugh Grant's going door to door trying to find the love of his life. Uh, does Natalie live here? No, she doesn't. Oh dear. And the kids say, sing us a carol, sing, sing. Are you singing carols? Please, sir, please, please. And then they start to sing. Good King Wenceslas looked out on the feast of Stephen When the snow lay round about Deep and crisp and even When you hear dum, bum, 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 oh! And then the text it works its magic on you. Welcome to Hark, a podcast about the meaning and the making of our favorite Christmas carols. I'm your host, Maggie Van Dorn, and over the four weeks of Advent, we're unwrapping one song at a time. We'll look at the musical development of these jingles, along with the religious messages baked into their lyrics. On this episode, we travel to bitter cold Bohemia to dig into the story of a 10th century duke turned king turned saint. This is the Carol of Good King Wenceslas. I think most people who had any kind of Christian upbringing would have met this carol when they were very small. So it's one of the musical garments that everyone will wear. This is Christopher Walker. I'm a decomposer. Well, I should say composer, I suppose. What's the difference between a composer and a decomposer? Well, I write ditties, and they're sometimes quite memorable, and people like them, but they're not great. Our composer is being humble. Christians the world over have Chris to thank for a thousand or more of his self-described church ditties. Perhaps the most popular among them is the Celtic Alleluia. And then I improvised... You've got to sing 
According to legend, who was good King Wenceslas? Well, I don't know a lot about him, except he wasn't a king. So what else do we know about Wenceslas? Well, for starters, Maggie, he was a real person. Oh, thank God you're here, Ricardo. Everyone, please allow me to introduce... Ricardo da Silva, a Jesuit, a journalist, and my collaborator on Hark. I've asked him to come help me stitch this story together, which whew, is as intricate and bloody as a Game of Thrones plot. Yeah, bloody doesn't begin to describe it. So here's what we know about the real Wenceslas. He was born a duke in 10th century Bohemia. Which is modern-day Czech Republic. In fact, if you visit St. Vitus's Cathedral in Prague, you can see some relics of Wenceslas I. And if you live there, his Saint's Day is a national holiday. We probably missed that point, right? He's a saint now. Yes. And the reason he became a saint is manifold. First, he was known for a lot of his charitable acts. Yeah, one 12th century preacher said that he would rise from bed in the middle of the night, leave his palace, escorted by a single servant, which would probably be unusual for that time. Mm. And he would go and visit churches to give generously of his wealth to widows, orphans, those imprisoned or afflicted in any way. Also, he wasn't just a good king. He was a Christian martyr. And to understand this, we've got to get to know the family. So his grandfather converted to Christianity. And along with his father, they were the first Christian rulers of Bohemia. Bohemia. So Wenceslas's father, Duke Vratislav, a Catholic, dies in battle when Wenceslas was a teenager. And his mother, Princess Dragomir, <laughs> very complicated figure. She had pagan ties. And she held on to them. And so after Wenceslas's father dies, his grandparents are left to rule, but not for long. They're both assassinated. By whom? The mother. What? The mother kills the grandparents. Which means Wenceslas is now the successor to the throne. But he's not old enough. So his mother, <laughs> his mother had been banished during the rule of his grandparents. When she returns, she comes in the role of regent. And when Wenceslas turns 18, he banishes his mom in return. Again. Which I didn't actually know was an option that you can banish your mom. I think some people might welcome that. <laughs> <laughs> so he does it because she was trying to take his throne. And his brother isn't happy about this. So to avoid confrontation with his brother, they seem to come to some sort of agreement that they would split the land between the two of them. And then each one would have their own kingdom to rule. So Wenceslas's brother, who is known as Boleslaus, the evil, did not agree with this arrangement. And so he conspires to have his brother killed. And it's particularly ironic because Wenceslas is traveling to mass when he is halted by three of Boleslaus' henchmen. And at the foot of the door of the church, these three henchmen draw their swords. And they stab him multiple times, but they ultimately leave the final fatal blow to his brother. Vratislav the Evil. So out of this, Wenceslas is declared a martyr. And that raises some questions. You don't get to become a martyr just because you died or someone assassinated you. 
That's right. In order to be called a Christian martyr, you need to have died for the faith. Not a throne. So the case for Wenceslas as martyr saint is not so much how he died. But how he ruled when he was alive. Because it was very common at that time for a duke to either banish or kill anyone with competing claims to power. Which is exactly what we saw when his mother took out his grandparents. But Wenceslas doesn't play by those rules. No, he's a Christian, and so he's beholden to the Christian faith. Which calls for mercy, not power or vengeance. And so when he could have eliminated his brother, he chose to let him live instead. So ultimately his death is made possible by his Christian mercy. And this is why we call him a Christian saint and martyr and how the story of Wenceslas spread throughout the land. Thank you, Ricardo. Always a pleasure. It's easy to see how this true story became a kind of Christmas eulogy. But how did it get spun into verse? Good King Wenceslas The first verse is seen setting we get the description of the snow being around and it was quite crisp and flat and the moon was out the frost was very very cold and suddenly it's like a little drama suddenly there is a poor man so presumably king wenceslas has got very good eyesight right and is seeing in the distance this man trudging through trying to find sticks and branches to get himself warm so the second verse is a kind of a dialogue and some churches, I they do lessons and carols, they get the men in the congregation to sing. And then they get the women to be the page. So it's a dialogue here by what the uh, king is seeing. Who is he? And the page happens to know, but he lives a long way away by St. Agnes Fountain. Now, what's the significance of St. Agnes Fountain? Well, it's interesting you should say that because there is a St. Agnes Fountain by a real St. Agnes convent by a mountain. It really exists. Bring me flesh and bring me wine, bring me pine logs Then the third verse, the king says, come on, let's get dinner for the old chap. So page and monarch forth they went, forth they went together through the rude wind's wild lament and the bitter weather. By the way, please remember that the original text has been severely criticized for being doggerel. I've not heard doggerel my entire life until I started producing Hark. So what do people mean when they say doggerel? Oh, doggerel. It's like there was an old man of Calcutta who had lots of butter. Oh, sing-songy. Just badly put together verse. This is a quote from someone who was counteracted that. He said... It could have been awful, but it isn't. It's magical. Hmm. Right. Anyway, back to the text. 
Right. So they're getting the feast ready and they're going out to look for this man. But in verse 4, the weather is getting worse. Sire, the night is darker, the wind grows stronger. I'm getting frightened about all this. I can't go on any longer. But then the king, i.e. the saint, says, Don't worry. All you need to do is to step in the steps where I'm going. And you will find you won't be so cold. And I would like to pick up on that because it's a miracle that actually occurs in this song. And I think we could interpret that in at least two ways. One, kind of literally, like this miracle happening, but also maybe on a different spiritual level, it's an invitation to follow in the footsteps of Christ or a saintly person. It's a lovely idea. But someone else said that his footsteps are hot because of the warmth of his love. So then we get to the last verse, and he does tread in his master's steps. It says where the snow lay dinted. I think it means where the snow was pressed down. And here's the kicker for us all. Therefore, Christian folk, be sure, doesn't matter how wealthy you are, if you share that with the poor, you too will have a blessing. The message of Good King Wenceslas, of bringing the best of what we've got and laying it down at the feet of the most impoverished and outcast, that's incredibly biblical. But alas, we won't actually find King Wenceslas in the Bible. So how did word of his good deeds make it into a Christmas carol? Through the caroling powerhouse of Victorian England, At this point, I can't even feign surprise. So many of our beloved carols emerged during this time period, thanks to a number of cultural influences. For one, Queen Victoria is said to have popularized the Christmas tree by bringing it into her own palace. And then there was the Oxford Movement, which is a trend among 19th century romantics to unearth the classics, Greek, Latin, stories of old, The Oxford movement was held with great suspicion in Protestant England because it often meant retrieving lost treasures of the Catholic tradition. But not for our composer. John Mason Neal wrote Good King Wenceslas in 1853. Neal was a prolific hymn writer and translator. We have him to thank for the classic hymn, All Glory, Laud, and Honor. And for the English translation of classic Christmas hymns like O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, Of the Father's Love Begotten, and Good Christian Men Rejoice. And Good King Wenceslas was Neil's adaptation of a 16th century festival song. It was originally a tune called Tempus Adest Floridum. This melody, 
comes from a dance about spring from the 13th century. So if I just play a little bit of the beginning of it, It's a dance, and you can imagine. Dum bum ba da dum bum ba dum bum 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 ba ba. People would clap there or ring bells and shake them. It's definitely something you don't want to sit still to. And then Neil wrote the lyrics that we all know today. But why this story? Why a Bohemian Duke? I thought Neil might have been drawn to the legend of Wenceslas because, well, it was old. And he had a real passion for reviving overlooked old things in the church. But Chris has a much more plausible explanation. Well, he produced a book of stories for children. Saints' lives, biblical stories, parables. It was called Deeds of Faith, Stories for Children from Church History. So it could be things from the Bible and so on, but also he must have heard of St. Wenceslas. In fact, I find it very interesting that John Mason Neal named his daughter Agnes. And I'm wondering if he had a particular fondness for the legend of King Wenceslas that he called his daughter Agnes. Back to doggerel. It just occurs to me that, as an adult, might see this and think it's bad verse and isn't poetic at all. But he didn't write it for adults. It comes from his book for children. Oh, that's a really good note. So we should expect it to be really infectious and memorable and something that kids can sing. And a proper story, ending with a moral. So it's not doggerel. It's lovely. It is. Okay, well, let's talk about that tune now. What are some of the distinct musical features of this tune? Oh, how long have you got? (laughs) Well, explain (laughs) it to me like I'm a kid. First of all, we have lots of repeated notes. And then every part of the melody is note against note. What does note against note mean? It means that When I sing one note, I'm going to go either one note higher or one note lower. Got it. That's going up. And then that's going one down. There are no gaps between the notes. There are no jumps except twice. Good King Wenceslas looked out. It It goes down a fourth. And then on the crest of Stephen, then it repeats. And the snow lay round about with that fourth deep and crisp and even. And then brightly shone the moon that night. Note against note against note against note. Though the frost was cruel. Wait a minute. Same melody from the first line. When a poor man came in sight. So we got a rising scale. So Uh it's as if you're raising your eyes from where you're walking in the snow. When a poor man came in sight. It lifts the gaze up. Yes, you look up. But is the opposite of that's going down. This one is descending. Da, 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 da. This is going up. And then here's the kicker. 
this is why you want to sing the next verse when it comes. A bit like the Celtic Hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> Scale down. Gathering winter fuel. There's the melody. There, the last bar is a reversal of the first bar. But here's the clever thing. Rhythmically, we've got a built-in, what we say in Italian, ritenuto. The melody suddenly slows itself down. Gathering winter fuel. Right. So you know you really are at the end of the tune. So it's a simple, simple tune, but in fact is very clever. The other thing, of course, is I'm just talking about the melody, which is what everyone remembers, but it has to have harmony as well. I'll, let me play it differently. But it doesn't do that because it sounds final. So we have actually this. Now, what is that that lingers and makes us want to know more? It's a surprise chord. There's the home key, but the chord is not the home chord. So you're building up a bit of excitement. What's going to happen next? We are done. I saw your eyes sparkle at that point. And you know who else gets sparkly eyes when they hear this, Carol? I don't think I ever paid attention to Good King Wenceslas. After the break, Father James Martin, American Media's editor-at-large and New York Times bestseller, will tell us how Good King Wenceslas became his favorite Christmas song. Jim, when was the first time that you heard the carol Good King Wenceslas? I think I can pinpoint it. It was probably 1985. This is Father Jim Martin. I'm a Jesuit priest and editor-at-large of American Media. Long before Jim thought about becoming a priest, he was living in Stanford, Connecticut. I was working with GE, and a good friend of mine named uh, Bruce was a huge Roaches fan. Here they come. The Roaches sisters. And was always trying to get me to their Christmas concert, I think at Carnegie Hall or Town Hall. And I always was unable to do it. I got the flu one year, I was out of town one year, and so he gave me the album, and I, it just blew me away. We Three Kings is the title of their beautiful Christmas album, and really every song on that album is beautiful and different, very different from the way you normally hear it sung. I don't think I ever paid attention to Good King Wenceslas. Who is Good King Wenceslas and why should I care about him? But as Jim would come to find out, there is something really special about the Roach's rendition of Good King Wenceslas. There's a line in there where they pause, ye who now shall bless the poor shall yourselves find blessing. They pause and then they sing it really slowly, more slowly than any other stanza in the song. It just leapt out at me, and I thought, boy, who listens to like the second or third verse to Good King Wenceslas? Mm. And 
who can find in it this meaning, you know, about working with the poor. You know, it sounds like it should come from the Gospels, not some stanza three of, you know, a Christmas carol that most people don't know about. Sometimes I think that there are these little gems hidden in the carols Mm. that you almost need the right lens to see or to hear. So what, Jim, in your own life has enabled you to recognize the profundity of this line? I think probably the most sustained period would have been these two years in East Africa with refugees in Nairobi. And I was blessed by their friendship. I was blessed by their laughter. I mean, it was a lot of fun. I also felt that I was doing what Jesus asks us to do. And I never once, ever, 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 ever said, am I in the right place? Am I doing the right thing? Never. You know, and in some jobs, even in America, look, let's be honest, we sometimes say, oh my gosh, you know, is this doing anything? Is this meaningful? Is anybody listening? Is this worth it? Am I writing the right stuff? In Kenya, overall, I found that the people I was working with were more grateful for things, more conscious of God's activity in their lives, more ready to say thank you to God, less complaining. I also think they're closer to God because there's less to get in the way. There's this part in the song where Good King Wenceslas actually goes out. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if there is a theological read to that, that we actually have to leave the comfort of our own castles. Hmm. I love that. To go visit the poor or to go visit those who have the perspective shift that we need. I love that. No, that's great. And it's also, it's kind of going out of our comfort zone, literally, as you're saying, going out of our palaces. I love that image. I've never thought about that. And that's going to be my new favorite part of this story, (laughs) that we go out of the warm comfort zone into the places of struggle in other people. You know, Jim Keenan, the Jesuit moral theologian, once said that mercy is entering into the chaos of another person's life, which is stunning because everyone knows very well, if you're really going to help someone, it's not like one and done. Right. <laughs> like, hey, here's my advice and I'll never hear from you again or everything's fixed. It is entering into that chaos and that's going out. And the second thing I think is that, you know, God at Christmas went out in a sense. God becomes human and takes on human flesh, right? And takes on sufferings and goes out into the cold in a sense, the way that Wenceslas does. So you can see Wenceslas as a Christ figure going out to humanity and helping us. Advent is not only a time to recall how God entered the chaos of our lives through the Incarnation. It's also a time to pay closer attention to where we might encounter God today. And for Father Jim Martin, one such miracle occurred in a chance meeting. I did a video years and years ago for America Media. Here's a clip from the video that Jim put out, just gushing about the Roaches version of Good King Wenceslas. When I was in college, a friend of mine introduced me to the Roaches. Just wonderful. But the song that really arrested me was a kind of a strange one, something that wasn't really part of my uh, spiritual life. And it's Good King Wenceslas. And I think on the Feast of Wenceslas and on around Christmas time, I put it out. And I always tag Suzy Roach and Terry Roach, the two surviving Roach sisters. So someone sent it to me. Out of the blue, here's this Jesuit priest talking about the Roaches version of Good King Wenceslas. This is Terry Roach of the Roaches. I'm coming to you from the island of St. John down in the United States, Virgin Islands. The thing that was really moving to me is that our father by now had died. He died a few years before this, but 
He had gone to Canisius College and was taught by the Jesuits. So that's 10 years ago that someone sends me this. And since then, every year, I post it on my Facebook page because I just think it's so cool. And it never occurred to me to write to him. And then I thought, I'm going to try to write him a fan letter to let him know how much I have always enjoyed at Christmas time looking at your YouTube video. And so he wrote back to me. And then we had a conversation back and forth and I sent him a few other songs of mine. And then he said, well, if you'd ever like to write a song with me. She said something like, would you ever consider writing a song? And I said, I can't do that, that's not my beat. (laughs) And I said, but I do have a prayer I could send you. Years earlier, Jim had written a new serenity prayer. It was a prayer when I feel rejected, mainly written for LGBTQ people. And so in their conversations over the pandemic months, they decided that Terry would set Jim's prayer to music. And finally, after six months, they met in person for the first time on a scorching summer afternoon in Central Park. Hi. <laughs> so nice to meet you finally. How are you? I can't believe it. I can't believe we're finally meeting. Amazing, it's like meeting right? a big movie star. <laughs> That's how I feel. <laughs> and you know, it turns out that all these years, after all this time, he lives seven blocks away from where I live in New York City. <laughs> for me, it's like meeting Bruce Springsteen for somebody else, or you know, Taylor Swift or something. There's a big, they're big deals in my life. We didn't speak specifically about Good King Wenceslas because, of course. I had heard what he thought of the song, and the one thing I did know about his impression of the Roach's version of the song was that when we came to the end, He who now shall bless the poor, we stop at that point. Shall yourselves find blessing? And he told me that that stopping at that point caused, I think he put it like this, it it caused him to hear the lyric for the first time. It certainly caused me to hear it for the first time. Here's Ricardo again. I hadn't thought about it before then myself. But dear listener, it was not the first time Ricardo heard Terry sing. He was there when she met Jim in Central Park. So when we decided to feature Good King Wenceslas on Hark, of course Ricardo had to call Terry. In your interpretation of Good King Wenceslas on the Christmas album, you've made a few artistic decisions, which I think are obviously different to the way that it was written in the plain score. So essentially, I consider myself to be a folk musician in the sense that I play music on the acoustic guitar that has kind of a folky sound to it. And so with Good King Wenceslas, we took the melody, we turned it into kind of a folk or country sounding song because that's such a natural way for us to play something. And the folk tradition really comes out of troubadours who would go from town to town. So Good King Wenceslas kind of reminded us of, you know, this is like someone came to your town and told you about this thing that happened in this other place with the king. So the Roaches gave this classic carol a folk spin. 
which it turns out also made for a richer theological remix. And so in the last verse where he says, In his master's steps he trod Where the snow lay dinted He was in the very sod Which the saint had printed Therefore everyone be sure Wealth or rank possessing He who now shall bless the poor Shall yourselves find blessing? Wow, that was so beautiful. I could hear that. I could hear that blessing coming through. Well, I think that music really works on your nervous system, on your emotional system in your body. I mean, you'll hear something that's done in music and all of a sudden you're crying and if someone says to you why are you crying you don't really have the answer to that (laughs) and for me the christmas carols have that quality of putting me in touch with an emotional experience of being human ultimately This is what music does for us. It touches us at the deepest of levels, and it connects us to the universal. We don't need to have been born a 10th century Bohemian Duke in order to recognize the humanity in those around us. And sometimes the best stories about Christmas can't be found in scripture or even a Catholic hymnal. Other times you need to sort through a bit of doggerel to find them, but they do exist. And if we pay attention, and are ready to leave our castles of comfort, we may find the warm footsteps of a God who treads amid our blustery, unholy mayhem. This song works on a universal level. You could sing this song anywhere. It doesn't really say anything about anybody's religion, but it tells a story of someone who noticed somebody else's suffering, and then acted to do something about it. At the end of the interview with Terry, she played for us an exclusive acoustic version of the Roach's classic Christmas Carol. We hope you enjoy it as much as we did. Forest 
Bring me flesh and bring me wine. Bring me pine logs hither. Thou and I will see him dying when we bear them thither. Page and monarch, forth they went. Forth they went together through the rude winds, wild lament and the bitter. Hark is a production of America Media. This episode was written and produced by me and Ricardo Da Silva. Sound engineering on this episode is by Frank Tucson, who also composed, arranged, and recorded our theme music and original music on this episode. Production assistance from our Joseph A. O'Hare Media Fellows, Cristobal Spielman, Jill Rice, and Christopher Parker. Parts of this episode were recorded in the William J. Lowshirt Studio at America Media in New York. Our studio manager is Kevin Jackson, and our executive producer is Sebastian Gomes. Special thanks to Terry Roach, Molly Cahill, Frank and Faye Tucson, and Ricardo Da Silva for vocals, and Nancy Don and Timothy Steves of Duo Concertante, Christine Carter, Matt Isaac, and OCP for providing the music for this episode. Hark is made possible by America Media's digital subscribers. Our subscribers can access all of America's digital content, including an article written on Good King Wenceslas by my colleague, Father Jim McDermott. It's easy to become a subscriber. Just go to americamagazine.org slash subscribe. We'll put a link in the show notes. For America Media, I'm Maggie Van Dorn. Thanks for caroling with us. On the next episode of Hark, we're listening to a Christmas carol that Canada claims as its first, and which was written by a Jesuit missionary. The very fact that he created the carol shows that he understood 
its song is so many things to the people. But which also bears the scars of European colonialism. Essentially what he did with this carol is he was rewriting the story of Jesus using words from our creation story. 